Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to podcast number 37 of the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. I'm really excited. It's the last podcast of the year, and we're going to kick it off with a bit of a throwback. This is a story that I wrote about eight years ago. And it's a Christmas tale that was inspired by the instructors at what was then the one school of Ripple Effect Martial Arts in Fort Collins, Colorado. And the instructors really inspired me. I always looked up to them, still do, now that we're many generations later. But it was just a fun way to show a little bit of a thank you and um, appreciation for them at the end of December way back then. Also, just a a little bit of trivia, the person who created the cover art for this little book uh, is Allie Hayes. Some of you might know her from the podcast. Some of you might know her from Competition Team. She's an amazing person, is an amazing artist, as well as a martial artist. And I think she was something like 14 at the time when uh, she had some artwork up in the school. And I just asked, would you mind giving a shot at doing the cover art? So... We'll include that somewhere so that you can see what that looks like. But I hope everybody gets a chance to sit back and enjoy this karate holiday tale. This is Attack of the Gingerbread Ninjas. Chapter One. Twas the night before Christmas. You know the tale. Not a creature was stirring and so forth. Such stories start happily and end in delight. You read them cozily by the fire and flit yawningly to bed to dream of sugar-plum fairies and such things that are warm, sleepy, dreamy, sweet. That's the way with Christmas stories, except the true ones, the ones that happen far away from the hearth fire, such as the one about a certain Christmas Eve. You see, on that fateful night at Santa's secret workshop in a hidden glacial cove somewhere on the North Pole, something was stirring. It was High Elf Robinson, head of the Northern Order of Elves, who sat up in bed, staring through the snowfall. Something stirred in his mind. You or I would have heard only silence, but Robinson felt a disturbance in the frost. Far off, an almost imperceptible splintering carried across the crisp night air. Yes, he was certain. Something out there was stirring. Robinson pulled back the quilted covers and pulled on his elven work pants, which were loose-fitting and allowed for a wide range of movement. He tied on his elven belt, which was black as the cold pail of coals beside the fire. The coals in the stone fireplace appeared gray and dead, but began to crackle, hiss, and glow as he stoked them. Robinson warmed his hands a moment, then put on his green stocking cap and walked out the door of his chamber to the toy factory. The workshop floor was as silent as the night outside. Christmas Eve was the one quiet day of the year. All the other elves slept soundly, having toiled the past 364 days gathering lists of names, correlating names with gradations of naughty or nice, proposing gift ideas, then setting to work getting every toy designed and built, perfected and finished to the last detail. Then there was the cleanup the sweeping of tons of sawdust and metal shavings and scraps of gift wrapping into great piles, oiling and polishing the workshop's mega-machinery, 
scraping the soot from the brick chimneys. Yep, the old man liked things spotless. Robinson ran his finger across a furnace top. Not a trace of dust. This year's troop of junior elves had earned their rest. Yar! came a low groan from behind him. Robinson turned to see High Elf Fran, still in pajamas, holding a fist to her mouth as she finished a yawn. What are you up to? Don't tell me we were one toy short again. Last year I had to take one of the spare reindeer all the way to Boise. What a night. Robinson seemed not to notice her, but looked upward through the skylights. By special secret elfish craft, the panes were designed to catch slightly thaw, then instantly refreeze the continually falling snow so that a thin layer of intricate, fragile crystal remained. The view through the panes transformed every second as new flakes fell and disturbed the crystalline picture, forming a new one again and again. Beautiful, impermanent, ever shifting and falling away like the mandala of Tibetan monks. Fran shuffled up beside him, looking from his eyes up to the ceiling. Day to day, she took little notice of the panes up in the roof. Her eyes focused on the non-stop duties of the workshop floor. Seriously, sir, said Fran, you're weirding me out. What do you see up there? Nothing, said Robinson. He dropped his eyes and smiled at Fran. Go back to sleep, but make sure your room's buzzer is on. I may need you if the sensei calls with a request from the road. It's on, yawned Fran, heading back to bed. It's always on, she thought. She was so used to buzzes from middle-of-the-night emergencies on the floor that she could practically sleep right through them. Robinson's eyes crept back up toward the skylights, but stopped short. He turned and walked quietly out through the south door. He didn't need to look again through the ceiling panes, because he knew that, up there in the lightly-driven snow, something was looking down at him. Chapter 2 Robinson walked down a hallway toward an elevator. The walls glistened like the points of snowflakes in the moonlight, and the whole length of the hall chimed in a whisper of tiny, tinkling bells. Another elven extravagance. The serenity of an ice cave and the warmth and luxury of the indoors. Robinson placed his hand on a scanner. The elevator doors opened, and he stepped in and started down to the control room. The doors opened again to a dark room streaked in colorful, illuminated bands, not unlike the dancing lights of the Aurora Borealis. Noella, an assistant elf who had just this year taken over the command center, was staring at a bank of screens and tapping buttons and turning knobs with one hand. She used the other to hold a plastic mug and sip tea from a plastic straw while she worked. Robinson stepped inside the room. His eyes roved the bands of light as they flickered, swelled, faded, blended, and glowed. Miss Noella, he said, what's new at the NORAD of the Northern Lights? NORAD's got nothing on me, said Noella, swinging round on her chair, and they've got nothing on this. She handed a printout to Robinson, who looked at it with a pinched face. You know this tech stuff is over my head, he said, handing the paper back to her. Just give me the drift. The drift is exactly the problem, said Noella, swinging back to her workstation. She clacked her fingers across the buttons. Look at this. Robinson studied a series of high-resolution, high-altitude images on the main screen. They were all of the snowdrift several miles out from the workshop. Robinson knew that, at this time of year, 
the drift would be relatively smooth, except for the waves in the snow caused by the winter winds. But this snow was pocked with a pattern of impressions that couldn't have come from the wind. Strange, he said, taking off his stocking cap and combing back his tall black hair. Is it a seal migration? No. Look at the marks in the snow. They don't drag. They go down straight through the powder. Rogue caribou? Even bigger, but swifter, too. Noella punched up a magnified view of the snowscape and panned across it. Robinson looked at a series of deep impressions, side by side and slightly staggered, spread out by three yards from one set to another. The holes were a full foot in diameter, like logs or stone pillars dropped into the snow, drawn out, moved forward ten feet through the air, and dropped back in again. Move in on a set of those, said Robinson, pointing at the floating screen. Noella turned a knob and the image magnified. Can you do a depth analysis on the two impressions? Sure thing. Noella tapped a few buttons and whirled a few dials. Here you go. Track one is three feet deep. The track right beside it is only one, said Robinson. Something's springing forward, heavy but swift, despite all its weight. I've heard of only one thing that moves like that. Robinson paused, recounting in his mind a passage from the old poem. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes did appear? Robinson pulled his hat back on his head. So what are we talking here, said Noella. Gingerbread ninjas, also known as gingas, he said. Big ones, maybe armored. Where's the sensei? Noella glanced at the holographic radar, a huge illuminated globe with longitudes and latitudes and wind patterns and national borders sharply illustrated in three dimensions. Just headed out of Hordaland, Norway, she said. If Rudolph turns on the turbo, we could have him back to base in ten minutes. Noella paused and gave Robinson a look, half puzzled and half afraid. Should we? Not yet, said Robinson, his eyes still on the screen. But rouse the ranks and tell them to gear up. We're in for a fight. Chapter 3 High Elves Worth and Wagner, whose beds were adjacent in a room at the rear of the High Elf staff quarters, shifted drowsily at the sound of the buzzing intercom. Can you please get that? said Wagner, his eyes closed. Uh, I believe I got it last time, said Worth. Wagner's fist shot out from the blankets, and at the same instant, Worth shot out to meet it. One, two, three, said Wagner, one eye open and aimed on the opposing fist. On the count of three, Worth's fingers sprang out straight like a handshake. Wagner's were still clenched tight. Paper beats rock, said Worth, closing his eyes and smiling. Dang, said Wagner, sitting up. He rolled and slapped his hand on the intercom's answer button. Wagner here, what's up? Noella's voice came through a bit crackly. Headmaster Robinson says put on your gear. Worth cocked one eye open. Gear up? Tonight? Right now. Meet on the shop floor. You're headed out. Wagner released the button and the crackles stopped. The two high elves, groggy just a second before, now rose sharply to attention. Wagner rolled his head from side to side, pulled his fingers back, cupped his fist, and cracked his knuckles. Worth withdrew his reinforced candy cane bow staff from the closet, gave it a twirl, and snapped it to his shoulder in salute. 
You hurt the little guy, he said, dashing for the door and banging his forehead on the jam. Worth was tall for an elf. Ouch, sir, said Wagner, who bowed and followed him out. On the workshop floor stood high elves Fran and Lincoln. Worth walked in, followed by Wagner. Both looked around. Seems quiet, said Wagner. It was, said Fran, yawning. This is still Christmas Eve, right? Feels like the high elf test. I'm afraid tonight's going to be a bit tougher than that. The four elves' heads turned toward the south door, where Robinson had just come in. Candy cane nunchaku were in his belt. He stood in his dark green arctic attire, with his gloved hands behind his back. Tougher how? said Lincoln. Her high elf test was fresh in memory, and she felt a bit sore just thinking of it. Who here has heard of the ginger? said Robinson. Lincoln and Fran looked at each other. Wagner said, Do you mean ninja, sir? Robinson shook his head. No, I mean ginger. Gingerbread men gone bad, baked deep in the magma of the earth, cooled as they rose in layers through the steam, then through the rock, then through the glaciers. I've heard the legends, said Worth, frowning. Deep deposits of ginger, molasses, cloves, and salt, somehow cooked together over centuries. They say ginger learned to fight in the subterranean extremes. Caverns, caves, both hot and freezing cold. What's that got to do with us tonight? said Fran. The ginger are headed here, that's what, said Robinson simply. They had a scout trying to peer through the roof just an hour ago. He gestured upward with his head. They're after something, and to get it, they'll need to come through us. No sooner had he spoken than the quiet, cavernous workshop shivered with a deafening crash. Then another. Then another. Lincoln and Fran ducked and covered as glass from the panes above showered down on their heads. Worth and Wagner jumped back into fighting stance and looked up at the holes in the roof where the skylights had been. Robinson bounced lightly on his feet stealthily drawing his chucks from his belt. The broken glass settled into a silence on the shop floor, and the wind swept frigid, bristly gusts through the gaping holes in the roof. All five elves stood looking up at the black night with its twinkling stars. Then something else dropped in, heavy, slamming to the workshop floor, then rising up to full height. It was clad entirely in white ninja garb, right down to its goat-toed sandals. Its arms were reared and flexed. Black eyes blazed through its mask, leering round at five high elves, standing rigid, ready for a fight. Chapter 4 The ginger's descent was swiftly followed by a dozen more. A series of quick thuds encircled the elves, who at the edges of their vision watched the ginger's rise up. The first, already standing, glared at Robinson. It lifted its hand slowly, stealthily, as you would swat a fly without scaring it off. Robinson stood stock still, his eyes locked on the gingers. Then the ginger dropped his hand through the air like a guillotine and yelled, Jack! Lincoln, Wagner, Worth, and Fran spun on the balls of their stockinged feet to face the half-circle of aggressors. A few were armed, a hook-sword, Dual broadswords, twin escrima sticks. The broadsword-wielding ginger struck first, and Worth threw up a block with his bow staff. The blades bit into the middle. Two of the unarmed gingers leapt forward from the ranks, 
The others sprang just outside of sparring distance from the remaining elves. Worth dislodged the blades with a helicopter spin of his staff, then whirled it down into a two-handed downward flower and back over itself, catching the ginger over the arm and flinging one of the swords to the tile floor. You're tall for an elf, the ginger said, gripping its remaining broadsword with both hands. Indeed, Worth matched the ginger in height to the inch. Yeah, I've heard that before. Worth swung his bow staff round, and the ginger sprang back into a defensive triangle, with one in front and two flanked behind. One reached into the white folds of its ginger suit and lashed its hand back out, fast as a striking snake. There was a sound like the shuffling of cards, and Worth twirled his staff like a huge propeller to his side, shattering the ginger's throwing stars and particles to the floor. Quick, too, said the ginger swordsman, jumping up, flipping forward, and charging down with what seemed like a thousand heel kicks at Worth's head. The high elf dodged laterally and swung his bow staff behind his back and overhead in a devastating downward smash. Just ahead was the massive gift wrap machine. It gave Worth an idea. Stand up, he told the bashed ginger, who was sprawled on the ground. We elves fight fair. The ginger stood leering, and the other two jumped to his side, hands in knife-edge. Worth moved with entrancing footwork in a figure-eight motion, smoothly gliding like a snake through a bearskin rug. The gingers were aggressive but hesitant, looking for a chance to close in. Before they found it, Worth slid into three lightning sidekicks that knocked them back ten feet into the open door of the machine, then jabbed with the point of the staff at the start button. Instantly, the machine began to agitate and swirl into motion, gaining speed, going faster and faster, flinging gift wrap around the ninjas who tottered off balance, searching with their arms for the walls as in seconds they became immovably bound in thick layers of industrial-grade wrapping, bows, and string. Paper beats rock, said Worth, smiling as he shut off the machine. The growling engines slowed to a purr. Meanwhile, Lincoln and Fran were pressed back to back, defending against two gingers each. With a piercing battle cry, one barreled toward Wagner, brandishing the hooked tip of his blade. At the same time, the ginger in front of Fran made a forward dash, Eskrima sticks whipping at the level of her head. "'Ready?' said Wagner, bending slightly at the knees. "'Ready,' said Fran." The next instant they had launched themselves up and over the top of the headlong gingers, who flattened each other in one brutal collision. The escrima bounced on the tiles and the hook sword clanged and clattered. The two ginger were out cold, tongues lolling. That left just two, unarmed. Wagner clenched his fists and cracked his knuckles and ground his back teeth together. I'll take the pretty one, he said. The ginger heard this and snapped his head toward Wagner. The elf inched forward in a series of probing steps, closing the gap until he was just millimeters beyond the range of the ginger's front leg. Patience, thought Wagner. Wait for it. Then it came. A ginger front kick that stopped just a hair from the elf's face. In a flash, the elf flew forward, battering the ginger to bits before it had time to rechamber for the next attack. Fran faced down the remaining ginger, who shot two nervous glances at the piles of crumbs around him. 
The Jinja set back and launched into a flurry of flying kicks, flip kicks, spinning hook kicks, and tornado kicks. It landed and looked at Fran. Pretty impressive, said the elf, pointing at the Jinja's feet, but your shoes untied. Just as the Jinja looked down, Fran skipped into a sidekick that simply broke it in two. She walked over and crunched its chest with her heel. Nothing like the fine art of distraction, she said. Robinson and the first Jinja had been locked in battle since the first had yelled for attack. Switch kicks, back fists, jabs, inside and outside crescents, crosses and counters. The blows flew in a flurry. The ones that landed left the elf with bruised ribs and the Jinja's sides and shoulders missing some chunks. Robinson kept pressing forward, switching stances, probing with his lead foot. Finally, he had the Jinja where he wanted him. You're looking a bit chewed up, said Robinson. Now that the Jinja was in range, with nowhere to retreat, the High Elf drew out his nunchaku and went to town, obliterating the Jinja into dust. Fighting with Lincoln, the final Jinja flung a jab and cross at her face. Lincoln slipped the punches and threw an elbow at the Jinja's temple, at the same time stepping across its body and whirling a back fist right into his eyes. The round black eyes turned to X's at the second blow, and the giant cookie man tipped backward and crashed to the floor. Lincoln stepped over it and smashed her heel down into its chest, shattering the ginger and shards across the tile. Now that's how the cookie crumbles, said Fran, nodding with enthusiasm. It wasn't a typical night on the shop floor. Ugh, gingerbread is just evil, said Lincoln. I've been into a ginger biscuit last week and it about broke my tooth. She rubbed her jaw. Chasing down gingerbread men, said Wagner, brushing ginger crumbs off his knuckles and shins. But I thought it was all just an old story. So are we, said Robinson, rechambering his chucks. No one believes in Santa's elves. Not the real ones. Not us. Just the ones on the shelves and in the shopping malls. As we speak, people are decorating their gingerbread men at home telling that old story with a chuckle. Check this out, sir, said Worth, coming over to the group and holding a piece of paper or parchment. Found it in the crumbs. He handed it to Robinson. Robinson looked it over, left and right, up and down. A series of black symbols painted with delicate strokes of a brush. Lincoln and Fran peered at the page over his shoulders. What does it mean? said Fran. Robinson crushed the parchment in his hands. The gingers are after Santa's secret store of magic. The elves looked at each other. They knew about the magic. They knew it was stored in a cove somewhere far out north amidst the flows of ice. But they didn't know where, and they didn't grasp how important it was. What now, sir? Wagner asked. Defensive positions. You four head outside the shop. Wagner to the northeast corner. Fran to the northwest. Worth to the southeast and Lincoln to the southwest. Got it? Yes, sir. The four snapped to attention and bowed. On their way out, Fran turned. What about you? Robinson was pulling off his white elf gloves, pulling on his black leather ones. I'm going out on the ice for a little spin. Chapter 5 While his four elves headed out to their respective posts, Robinson sprinted to his private garage where he tapped in a code. The door opened. There, in the red phosphorescent light, was his ride, a glossy black covered snowmobile 
with eight heavy tread drive tires and a precision wheel up front attached to the steering column, which let the thing turn on a dime. The fine-tuned custom vehicle moved through the frozen, jagged terrain as smoothly as a piranha through water. Robinson stepped inside, buckled his belt, and punched the ignition. The engine roared. The headlight woke and flared, bathing the icecape with a bluish glow that stretched a hundred yards into the darkness. Robinson threw the snowmobile into gear, lurched from the garage, and exploded into the night. His hands loose on the wheel, Robinson rumbled over the tundra at incredible speed. A red light blinked at the console, and a small screen lit up with a face. It was Noella. I've got some data for you, she said, and it isn't good. Data's always good, said Robinson, jerking the steering wheel to avoid a huge crevice in the ice. Just lay it on me. The gingers in the workshop were just the advanced troops, she said. Pawns, in a sense. The rear guard out of the tundra are better armored. They're faster, too, based on their snow prints and the distance from point to point. We still can't see them out on the tundra, though. They're invisible as ghosts. So are white seals and polar bears, said Robinson. But the reindeer can see them. How's that? Arctic Science 101. Reindeer are the only mammals who can see ultraviolet light. To a reindeer's eyes, those gingers will stand out like peacocks in the snow. Robinson eased his foot off the accelerator. Got it. I'll have Lincoln get the spare herd up on a flyby, said Noella. There's one more thing. Her face was worried, unsure. What's that? said Robinson, slamming the brakes and cranking the wheel and skidding to a bumpy stop just inches from the towering glacial wall. The leader, said Noella. As little as we know about the rest, we know even less about him. He's giant, that's for sure. Probably stronger than steel. Maybe unbeatable. Maybe you should call everyone back to base and hold out until the sensei gets back. Everything's got a weakness, said Robinson, opening the snowmobile's gullwing door and stepping out into the cold. Besides, he thought, this isn't the boss man's problem. It's why he's got us. Lincoln's wrist screen flared with a message. Get to the stables, it read. On the double. Robinson needs you to harness the spare deer. More instructions to follow. Noella. Lincoln looked out into the dark beyond the searchlights and wondered what was shifting out there besides the snow. She hated to abandon post, but orders were orders. When she got to the stables, she found someone already there. It was Mrs. Claus. Ma'am, said Lincoln, bowing. Did we wake you? Mrs. Claus was stroking the back of an enormous reindeer with one hand, giving it some feed with the other. I'm always restless on Christmas Eve. But yes, I heard the racket. She turned, her thick hair bound up in tresses under a white sleeping cap. Thought I'd find a bit of peace out here with these graceful creatures, she said, turning again to the deer. Lincoln stood at attention and cleared her throat. I just received word to harness them up, send them skyward. Why? asked Mrs. Claus. Lincoln told her of the gingers, the battle in the workshop, and the one to come outside. Just then, Noella ran in with a report. Thought I'd deliver this personally, hot off the computers. The little elf bowed to Mrs. Claus and handed the report to Lincoln, who looked it over. It basically says the gingers are made of no sugar or butter, said Noella. Nothing sweet, nothing brittle, nothing soft, no weaknesses. Lincoln's face and shoulders looked crushed, like the earth had just dumped a glacier on her back. 
but Mrs. Claus didn't blink an eye. These gingers just need to be flattered, she said. Flattened, you mean, said Lincoln, slamming her fist into her palm. Flattered, battered, either way it's simple, she said. We butter them up. Lincoln's eyes widened. She nodded. The kitchen was full of stocks of butter and huge vats. If they moved them to the furnace fires, they'd bubble up hot in no time. Noella, sound the general alarm. Wake every junior elf and have them move those butter vats to the fires. Then get the reindeer hitched up with them. Time to rain a little butter on the ninja parade. Outside in the cold, Fran, Wagner, and Worth all stood stationed in their respective corners. None could see a thing through the snow, but each heard a commotion from inside. They heard the alarm, then their sharp ears picked up the sound of eldish feet pattering across the floors. The three high elves kept their lookout over the plains of ice and snow, wondering what was to come. A minute passed. Another. It felt like hours. The elves' arms ached. Their lungs burned with the intake of frigid air. Then Worth heard a jingling. From her position, Fran heard it too, and Wagner from his. It was overhead. It was the backup reindeer, flying out over the tundra in pairs, carrying between them huge vats. What's this? thought Worth. Then two reindeer just a few yards ahead spilled their vat. Some ten gingers screeched in pain as the boiling butter seeped into their bones. Just beyond Fran and Wagner, the other reindeer followed suit, dumping butter across the plain, revealing the hidden ginger and dissolving them down to gritty crystals that disappeared in the wind across the snow. Yes! went up the cheer from all three elves, their shouts of triumph echoing into the sky. Just then a lone ginger sprang up from the snow, striking Wagner off balance with a blow to the ribs. Wagner shook his head and looked to see the ginger darting for the kill. The elf sprang forward with a back fist. The ginger leaned back as the knuckles scraped his chin. Wagner swung an axe kick down on the ginger's collarbone, but with a swirl the ginger just dodged the blow and ended up behind the elf. Wagner felt his face go pink. His eyes began to swell. His tongue wouldn't move. His throat choked by the crook of a flexing ginger arm, the point of an ice spear at his spine. Gotcha now, said the ginger. Get this, came a voice through the snow, followed by a series of heavy kicks to the ginger's head. Four awesome Fran kicks, followed by a whirling bowstaff blow to the ginger's back. Rocked by the blows, the ginger loosened its grip. Wagner launched a back kick into its chest, and from thirty feet above, two reindeer dumped a vat of bubbling hot butter on the ginger's head and shoulders. The head began to shrink, and the shoulders hunched. That's the trouble with gingers, said Wagner. They're always going soft. He took one step, sidestepped, then sprang into the glazed, decomposing ginger with a flying sidekick, obliterating the cookie man into a gummy mess of molasses and ginger across the ice. Chapter 6 High Elf Robinson stood in the paleocrystic ice that marks the boundary of the Pole of Inaccessibility the natural frozen fortress that stopped Shackleton's ships. Far out, in a place no mere mortal could discover, much less actually reach, lay Santa's secret cove, the pure source of Christmas magic. 
Robinson's pointed ears listened for any whisper from the enemy. This would be the final stand. Suddenly the ice beneath him shook, then settled, then shook again. The pattern repeated and grew more rapid, as if a herd of something huge were running, bounding, right toward him. At the last second, the high elf spun sideways just as an enormous arm swung at his head. Robinson swung his nunchaku and nailed the ginger with successive blows. They would have decimated a rogue snowman, knocked a yeti out cold. But now there was only the smell of scraped nutmeg in the air and a ginger grandmaster looking down with an evil smile. Strike, strike as hard as you can, he chuckled. You can't hurt me. I'm the gingerbread man. With his dual-wielded nunchucks, the ginger swirled up a whirlwind of bitter frost shards and snow, stinging the elf's eyes, dizzying him. Robinson squinted and shook a little off balance, and like a giant iron rock, the ginger master's hook hit him in the jaw. Robinson lifted himself up on his forearms, wheezing into the ice. His wet breath froze and shimmered on the snow. Look at you now, snarled the ginger, Santa's little whelper. Sticks and stones, said Robinson, wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. But how did you plan on getting to the secret cove? There are no maps. Besides Sensei Claus, I'm the only one who knows the way. Lead me, snarled the giant ginger, drawing back a fist like a frozen boulder. Or it's all over for you, elf. Follow the leader, Robinson said, standing shakily to his feet. He set foot on the first patch of ice. Here, he said, and the ginger followed. The ice patch was large, and even the ginger's heaviness didn't budge it. Keep up, said Robinson, hobbling to another patch of ice. The ginger scoffed. Keep up with a lame elf. Me, the leader of the gingers, he said, and with a bound he leapt right to the middle of the ice patch, rocking Robinson where he stood. Robinson shifted and leapt to a free-floating length of ice, rather wide but unattached to the shore. This way, he shouted to the ginger. The ginger took a running leap and stomped onto the ice right next to Robinson again, splashing up some of the frigid water on both sides. Keep moving, he told the elf, or I'll pitch you over and find the way myself. That'd be pretty impressive, said Robinson, bounding from the ice and springboarding off another patch to a chunk rather smaller than the others. He was getting looser now, the blood back in his veins. I remember the first time the old man brought me, and I would never have found my way back alone. Robinson bounded again and again and again, trip, trip, trip across three slim lengths of floating ice. The ginger matched the first two strides, but his dense bulk was throwing him off balance. He wobbled, plunged off the side of the ice into the frigid water, and struggled to pull his body back up on the icy surface. Robinson watched from his safe distance. He folded his arms. He raised his brows and smiled as the ginger leader hauled himself back onto the ice, Looks like you're stuck and wet. That water will freeze in a minute or so and you'll be even worse off. Robinson looked at his fingernails. But don't worry, buddy, he said. 
Cookies are best when they're glazed. With that, the nimble elf sprang across the chunks of ice back to shore. The ginger leader couldn't possibly follow. The chunks were too far apart, too confused. All he could do was watch the shore disappear and feel the swelling waves grow rougher, sending him further and further away. Robinson watched from the edge of the firm ice as the ginger leader drifted rapidly out to sea. Just as the frozen bark brought the helpless ginger beyond the range of the moonlight, Robinson heard an agonized, furious wail that broke the clouds above. Then there was a titanic splash, then just the sound of the mighty arctic waves. The darkness had swallowed both the ginger and its terrible cry. Robinson made his way back to his snowmobile, revved the engine, felt the warm air course through the grates. He patted the sides of his hair in the rearview mirror and blasted off toward home. On Christmas morning, Sensei Claus sailed through the Arctic air, weary and sooty, but still jolly, with a full belly in an empty sleigh, just as the first rays of dawn awakened across the ice. After settling the reindeer in the warmth of the barn, he stole into the workshop. Everything was quiet, sparkling, clean as a whistle, just as he expected from his top elves at the end of the season. Then his eyes roved upward to the high ceiling, where two roughly cut sheets of plywood covered the spaces where the glorious elven glass had been. And the shop floor wasn't completely clean, it turned out. Through the sole of his burnished black boot, Santa felt the crush of a crumb. One crumb that had escaped the bristles of the elves' swift brooms. Sensei Claus took off his glove and examined the grainy residue between finger and thumb, brought it under his cherry-red nose. Ginger. Without the slightest sense of danger, Santa proceeded to the high elf staff quarters, quietly opening the doors just a crack to look in. There were Wagoner and Worth, the latter snoring peacefully. Down the hall, Santa peeked in on high elves Fran and Lincoln, also snug in their beds. Sensei Claus decided to wait till after breakfast for a report on the previous night from High Elf Robinson. He'd let his little helpers sleep in the morning. They'd earned it. <laughs>